Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on the Two for One Drafts podcast, the Monday edition. We are going to wrap up 2020 NFL free agency with our favorite and least favorite moves. And then we got to dive into this cornerback class. I've been watching a ton of cornerback tape, getting interested in guys like Noah Benogany, Bryce Hall, Trayvon Diggs, guys that probably won't go in the first round, maybe back into the first, top of the second. It's a very interesting cornerback group that I think in that range picks 25 to 50. You're going to see a pretty decent run on cornerbacks, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's after basically Jeffrey Okuda, there's not like a home run pick at corner. Like there's one guy clearly at the top, and then there's kind of the second tier. But there's a lot of guys in that second tier. There's like a dozen guys in that kind of 25, like you said, 25 to 50. Maybe you reach if you're a team at the back end of the first round, but you're going to find a lot of talent throughout the second round. Similar to last year's probably wide receiver class. I'd probably liken it to in terms of just there's a lot of guys in that second round range where if you tell me five guys kind of hit on that year one, I wouldn't be surprised at all. All right, well, let's press forward here and highlight these moves from free agency. My favorite move in the 2020 free agency is the Emmanuel Sanders signing to the New Orleans Saints, largely because I, he just makes him a better team, and it was money well spent. It wasn't a huge deal. Two years, $16 million. Yes, he's older, I think 33, 34 years old, but you saw the value that he added for the San Francisco 49ers. I think he can do a lot alongside Michael Thomas. I know they both can play in the slot and outside. I think that versatility helps the Saints team, and it helps them now. A move at the same money that Melvin Gordon got on a two-year deal i think this is a huge move for the saints huge move for breeze michael thomas and company well it's not just the melvin gordon it's i mean compared to other wide receivers what they've gotten on the open market in recent years like that's that's less money than adam humphreys got last year adam like you can't tell me any team in the right mind would rather have adam humphreys right now than Emmanuel (laughs) sanders like i think teams lose their mind a little bit too much over age and no one wants to be that team that signs that guy at the end of their career and he tears an Achilles and never plays again or whatever. Like the guy who's just catching that washed up year of a guy, you don't want to be that team. And I get that sort of, I get being afraid of that, but I also don't want to be the team that over, you know, that overpays for a guy who's not going to impact your football team. Emmanuel Sanders could very well impact that football team at a high level. If he just plays the way he did last year. So yeah, I, I like the signing a lot too. When you talk about the money, what he brings to the table and how big of a need it was for new Orleans, new Orleans, the salary cap, uh, gurus there. They just keep they keep finagling it. Every single year, it seems like they find space to sign these guys. I, I tweeted out that it was a great move at a good value, and someone replied saying, "Is it is it even that good of a move when the Saints like don't even have cap? It's like it does like they don't even treat the cap as existing. Like it's just like they find new ways to fit these guys in. Also, Emmanuel Sanders is an accurate Jimmy Garoppolo deep ball away from being like a 49ers legend, like a legitimate yeah. Super Bowl winning wide receiver. That I think go like they're putting murals up of this dude in San Francisco if that's an accurate pass." I think he can add value down the football field at the intermediate level. I don't think he's bad after the catch. And I think he can do a lot of the things that Michael Thomas can do, but he he also provides a different skill set, a little bit quicker, all those things. So Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints is my favorite. Renner, I know you have a different one. Yeah, this one's pretty obvious. And it's on one hand, the favorite, and then the least for the other side. And everyone knows DeAndre Hopkins, the trade, him going over to the Arizona Cardinals, getting him for essentially a second round pick for Arizona was absurd, like patently absurd to get that much in return for just a second round pick. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, one of the top five probably receivers in all of football, easily better than anyone else the Cardinals have on that roster. They really had kind of just a lot of guys last year in terms of just no one bringing a particularly elite skill set in any one regard to the table at this point. So putting him in there just improves that receiving core night and day. 
overnight in, in a position that they desperately, desperately needed for Kyler Murray. I mean, they add an offensive tackle in the top of the first round, and they have DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk. I, I mean, Kenyon Drake on the transition tag. I mean, this is a much improved team, a Cardinals team that I don't think wins the NFC West. But I didn't have expect expectations for them to make the playoffs. Are, are you against the Cardinals making the playoffs with this roster? They still got a lot of needs defensively is the only thing. Like, they, they still – and that's going to be my least favorite. I might as well just say my least favorite right now. The, the Jordan Phillips signing – Three years, thirty million dollars for him is not is not going to pay off big dividends. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say because he's never graded out well at any point over the course of his career. His ten sacks last year came on something like four hundred pass, almost four hundred pass rushes, and a lot of them, I think only six of them were actually the the result of him beating a blocker. Like he's not it hasn't been him over the course of his career. He's not been his pass rushing grade was under sixty. You could have spent that $10 million elsewhere and gotten a lot bigger impact, in my opinion. For but Mike, he's a 10-sack guy. <laughs> if you're a 10-sack guy, you're a 10-sack guy. He will not be a 10-sack guy next year. You can you can vault me on that one. Yeah, I mean, when you look at that pressure to sack conversion rate, like, it's just unsustainable. Like, I've looked at that in the past with other guys. I mean, like, when you have pass rush grades below 70.0 year after year and then you put up a 10-sack number and convert that many pressures to sacks, it's just an unrealistic number to repeat for Jordan Phillips. All right, my least favorite move, I kind of hinted at it, but Denver Broncos signing Melvin Gordon. I mean, what is going on? $13.5 million across two years, a $16 million contract in total. Yes, he's a good running back, but good running backs are – you can sign them as undrafted free agents, as they've done with Philip Lindsay. I, I, again, you strike gold in terms of finding a productive running back at like what he's making less than 300K a year, 600K a year, whatever it may be. You should use that to add value at other positions. This isn't a roster without holes. And I think when, you, when you're spending $13.5 million guaranteed on a running back, you better have a roster without significant holes. I think the Broncos, an interesting move for them. I don't necessarily support it. I think it was a loss, a misspend of resources in free agency. Yeah, like you have Philip Lindsay there. Philip Lindsay's gone over 1,000 yards each of the last two years and is good. Like you're, you're not... I don't see how, like, are you going to bench Philip Lindsay now? What's the, what's the long-term player? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the, what the upshot is, but you have to think that $8 million could have been spent elsewhere and gotten a bigger impact on that roster with the way it's constructed at this point. Especially when you see like defensive backs signing, you know, one year, $4 million deals, one year, $6 million deals. You see Malik Collins, a one year deal worth up to seven and a half million. Like you're getting better impact players on short-term deals elsewhere. Melvin Gordon is not going to provide nearly the impact. Some of these other cornerbacks have you know brought in on one year deals like Eli Apple, Malik Collins, um, Mackenzie Alexander. I, I just don't think, again, I just don't think they spent resources in the right spot. I don't think running back was a position of need worth 13 and a half million. And also just like, I'm not exactly sure what went on behind the scenes with Chris Harris jr. Or whatever, but throwing a little more money, his way to keep him happy there in Denver could have gone a long way. Cause he's a pretty damn good cornerback still at this point in his career. I'm not sure why you had to let him walk out the door. That's a good that's a good take too, though. I think we always think about spending money in free agency. It's like you could have gotten another player, also, if you didn't spend that $13.5 million guaranteed on Melvin Gordon, you could have maybe thrown some more cheddar Chris Harris Jr.'s way and kept yeah. one of the better slot cornerbacks in the NFL on your roster. You know, Spending money on the running backs like this, I mean, you're always going to have me somewhat concerned. All right, let's shift gears a bit. Let's go to the 2020 NFL Draft. This is the Two for One Drafts podcast. We're going to continue our class overview series and talk the cornerback class. And who better to start with than the number one cornerback in this class, a top five player on PFF's board, Jeffrey Akuda. 
Buddha of Ohio State. He is just uh, he, he really has it all. I mean, he has the entire skill set that you want. One thing that I d- hadn't actually seen that I was going back and looking through our combine numbers here the other day, he had the longest wingspan of any of these cornerbacks at the combine. Longer than Bryce Hall, longer than Trayvon Diggs. Like he might not be as tall as those guys, only six one, two hundred, but he has long ass arms for his size. Uh, I mean, press man is just going to be his bread and butter at the next level, and that's that's the real differentiator at the cornerback position. You can get a lot of guys who can succeed in zone, a lot of guys who can at least not be liabilities in zone. You can get by with lesser players at that. You cannot if you're a man heavy team. If you're playing man, you you just have to have talented guys, and that's that's Jeffrey Okuda over the course of his entire college career, passer in against a fifty five point seven, and that's all, that's with only three picks. Like so, he was just not allowing. Uh, catches his way. I mean, former five-star recruit, the fourth-ranked player on PFF's board right now, earned a top 20 PFF grade among cornerbacks in 2019. I think Akuda, if the Detroit Lions don't trade down, which I think they will, I think they are going to trade out of the number three pick for someone to come up for Tua Tungamailo, but if they don't, would coming away with Jeffrey Akuda, the cornerback of Ohio State, be, a, a, be the best choice for the Lions right now? 100%. And I think, well, I th- I feel pretty good about them, even if they go down to six, being able to still. So if they go down on the charge, the charge of the team that moves up to three, still being able to come away with Jeffrey Okuda. I don't think the Giants are going to draft him at this point. They signed James Radbury. I, I think the Dolphins, almost no matter what, are going to go QB. They're not going to sign another quarter. They're not going to draft another cornerback. They have Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. So they can move all the way down to six and still get your guy at that point. That would be that would be a you know all time sort of draft, uh, just basically year for the Lions if they can get an extra first round pick and Jeffrey Kuda still at the top of the draft. They would be one of my biggest winners uh, easily for the uh, you know twenty twenty draft. Yeah, I think a dream scenario for the Detroit Lions right now is to trade down to five with the Dolphins or trade down to six with the Chargers and still land Jeffrey Okuda of Ohio State to play in that man-heavy scheme that Matt Patricia and Brian Flores and Brian Bill, or Bill Belichick love to run. I think Okuda to the Lions, if it's at five or six, is a huge slam dunk for the Detroit Lions. Let's jump to next cornerback on PFF's board, the 15th best player in the class, Christian Fulton of LSU, earned an 88.6 PFF grade in 2018, dropped to an 84.7. In 2019, a lot of that is injury, suffered an injury early in the season against Texas. I think you turn on his 2018 tape, and I think you have the best player count for him. It's A.J. Bouye, him coming out of breaks, playing the ball in front of him when he is playing like a cover three type of role is just special. This guy has great change of direction, great burst, great explosiveness. The the instincts are very good. The highest graded cornerback in the SEC over the past two years. I mean, Christian Fulton, production, athleticism, character, all of the things kind of stack up for him. Well, he has the highest coverage grade career of anyone of any of the cornerbacks in this draft class. So like doing that in the SEC, I get that it might not look as impressive as Jeffrey Akuda. He might not have the same tools and he got torched a little bit more this year than Jeffrey Akuda ever did at Ohio State. But I, I still think that the breadth of his performance and the fact that he was so good in 2018 when he wasn't asked to play as much press man, he played more press man than any other cornerback in the country or in this draft class, excuse me, because the guy on the opposite side, Derek Stingley actually played a little bit more snaps (laughs) than him this past year. So the most press man snaps of any cornerback in this draft class and still held up well, when I don't think that's his bread. I don't think that's his game. I think he's more of an off man guy or off zone guy. That's when you saw him at his best when he was able to read both the wide receiver and the quarterback. But the fact that he still held up well enough in press man coverage 
is very encouraging. A lot of people are low on this guy, but man, I, I think I think we said it before. If if you're low on this guy, go back and watch the 2018 tape because that mm-hmm. you don't have that sort of tape as a redshirt sophomore without being something special. And getting an LSU cornerback like Christian Fulton that you know because you compare and compare him to Greedy Williams, who was very very good at the line of scrimmage, very good in man coverage, but maybe struggled a bit in those off zone types. Christian Fulton, good in man coverage, but also fantastic playing the quarterback and playing the receiver in front of him. When you get that diversity and scheme, like that ability to play both types of coverages, that is a valuable cornerback in the NFL. A guy that you can play as a true number one, really do love Christian Fulton's game. All right, jumping to the 21st player on PFS board, the third best cornerback in this class, it's C.J. Henderson. And I'm going to say this. This isn't going to be every team's cup of tea. Some people aren't going to like that he's not first team all chirp, okay? Some people aren't going to like that he's not, you know, talking smack after every play. He's a quieter guy, and you kind of see that on his film. However, if you want an athlete, if you want a moldable piece of clay that can do anything you ask him to do, C.J. Henderson is that. He's up there with Jeffrey Okuda in pure match and mirror ability. His 2019 tape, you see some mental misses, some mistakes, kind of getting over-aggressive or mental miscues and allowing in coverage. But I think someone said his tape is all over the place in 2019. I would agree. But the high end with C.J. Henderson is truly special. Yeah, he loved five catches over 40 yards this past year. And that was only in, uh, you know, nine games because he got hurt. Uh, and the injury did obviously hamper him. Wasn't quite the same player he was in 2018 when he only allowed 18 catches all season long. But I think you said it, that the man coverage ability is there. Like the athleticism is there. There are things to work with here, but I think you have to be realistic about expectations. It might not be great out the gate. And, and if you're a zone team that's going to ask him to tackle, that that won't be great out the gate. He missed <laughs> 18 tackles over the past couple of years uh, on, on fewer than 90 attempts. So he has just been awful as a tackler over the course of his career. So I think that might limit where his like sort of landing points are. In the draft, like we had, we had thrown him to 18 to the Dolphins a bunch. Like I thought that fit was too perfect. Now Byron Jones is there. And while I still wouldn't hate them pit, drafting, you know, another cornerback and just loading up on that secondary and just being dominant in man coverage with three guys like that, I don't think realistically that's going to be the case. I think maybe Dallas could cover a skill, covet, excuse me, a skill set like that. Atlanta could covet a skill set like that. But if that's not where he lands, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he doesn't fall all the way to like 23 to New England, and that could be where he ends up coming off the board. But I, I, I do think he will be has a good chance of being the second cornerback drafted in this draft class. Dude, you you, you read my mind. I, I was saying C.J. Henderson to 23 for the New England Patriots feels like mm-hmm. if he's going to fall, that's where it ends because I could see Bill Belichick falling in love with this guy and continue to invest in the secondary. He knows how valuable it is to have match and mirror ability to be able to play man coverage at a high level. And C.J. Henderson, Bill Belichick, I'll tell you right now, doesn't care if you're first team all chirp. He just needs mm-hmm. to make sure you're on front of the guy. And like he kind of struck gold with J.C. Jackson, but bringing in C.J. Henderson, I think I mean, it would be a very, very good move for New England, in my opinion. You can, they, they don't you, care, you know. No team. How many corners they have. Yeah, exactly. No team, including the New England Patriots, has enough cornerback talent. I think if C.J. Henderson talent like that falls to twenty-three, I think New England Bill Belichick jump on board with that. Really do like his game. All right, jumping to Trayvon Diggs, the Alabama cornerback, long arms, and he definitely uses them well at the line of scrimmage. The twenty-sixth ranked player on PFF's board, the cornerback four, an eighty-eight point five overall grade in twenty nineteen ranked sixth among cornerbacks. And I'll say this, another guy that 
not not that complete type, not a guy that's going to be every defense's cup of tea in terms of he's going to fit in certain schemes, not fit in others. I think he belongs at the line of scrimmage in single high type of stuff. If he gets his hands on you, very, very good. Instinctual quarterback down the football field. Ball skills are absurd. You see that relation to Stefan Diggs down the football field. There's a near one-handed interception on his 2019 tape that is honestly insane. I can't remember the team he was playing against, but this guy could really, really play the ball in the air, and I think he uses his body and his hands well down the football field not to get penalties but to still affect the receiver and make plays on the ball yeah he allowed a passer excuse me a pass rate against the 44.5 last year only 42.3 percent of his targets to be completed and you mentioned he's not gonna be for everyone who he is for is any team that's gonna run a lot of press because he had the highest grade of any cornerback in this draft class with at least 100 snaps in press coverage he had the highest press coverage grade of any cornerback so He's very good at the line of scrimmage. He shuts down routes before they even begin. He had the third longest wingspan of any cornerback at the combine. Super long arms, uh, big dude. You know, over well over two hundred pounds. Uh, I think that again, not for every team, but the teams that will covet him. You know, the Seattle's of the world, Atlanta's. They're going to be high on him. Like I, I would be hard pressed to see. And I know Seattle hasn't drafted cornerbacks early in the John Schneider era. But if he's on the board there for them in the back, back in the first round, I don't know how you can pass this guy. He's perfect for their scheme, and he's exactly what they need. So that one makes too much sense to me. We're going to be seeing Trayvon Diggs mock to the Seattle Seahawks in the first round for the next month plus because I think it is too good of a fit for Trayvon Diggs. You mentioned the best PFF coverage grade in press coverage. He also has the second best PFF coverage grade over the past two years in single coverage, right behind LaTeX Amik Robertson. This is the top five in single single coverage over the past two years. Amik Robinson first, Trayvon Diggs, Christian Fulton, Jeff Gladney, and then Jeffrey Akuda. Those are the top five in single in single coverage over the past two years. And Trayvon Diggs. He's not a burner. He's not going to fly like some of these other cornerbacks, but his arms are so long and his technique and press is so good that he does a great job of not getting burnt despite having burnable speed, you know? And I think Trayvon Diggs, an impressive player, definitely like him. He's one of my favorites in this class for sure. All right, moving forward here, we got to jump to AJ Terrell. Oh, no, Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson of Utah. I got kind of about a little bit down football field plays the ball really well i like his ball skills i like his physicality his aggressiveness to approach the ball i think uh, Jalen johnson another good cornerback in this class yeah and he's been tested a ton three years at utah of starting 190 targets in his career allowed fewer than 50 percent of those to be completed really took his game to another level this year uh, only 319 yards allowed on 65 targets and, and down the stretch he was dominant in pac-12 play he's a guy we've talked about as one of the most instinctual corners in this class, like he, he will jump routes. Like some guys you see, even like a CJ Henderson, like isn't a route jumper, isn't seeing things before they happen. You know, a guy like Jalen Johnson is, is instinctive. Like he is reading routes and will jump on a out route. will jump on a slant route before he sees, you know, before it's actually developing. Uh, that's just the type of player he is. Now, sometimes he's wrong and he's gotten burned on dull moves over the course of his career. That's going to happen. You're going to have to accept that with a guy like Jalen Johnson, but he's a playmaker and he's been consistently that six picks over the past couple seasons. So uh, I'm a big fan of his game and he didn't wow athletically at the combine, but I think he did more. He was tested out more than good enough to be a top flight cornerback in the NFL. 
All right, and uh, all these guys, you, you talk about C.J. Henderson, 21st on PFF's board, Trayvon Diggs at 26, Jalen Johnson at 28. The back end of the first round, top of the second round, you are getting value at cornerback, in my opinion. That's what puts the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, in such a good position to add a cornerback in this class at 32. You're going to get a good one to follow to you at 32. Let's jump to A.J. Terrell of Clemson, the 34th player on PFF's board. A lot of people like A.J. Terrell. I don't think his tape is super impressive. It doesn't wow me in any way, but I think, you know, very smooth athlete, a guy that doesn't get beat often, but in terms of like playmaker, ball, you know, hand, ball production, those things, you just don't see it a ton with Terrell. Yeah. And he really got torched in the national championship game. Obviously yes. down the football field. Now he's going up against Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase might go in the top 10, uh, but uh, that is obviously concerning considering who Clemson plays over the course of the season. Is not there's not a lot of good wide receivers he faced. You know, in the ACC, there's just not a ton of talent at the receiver position. So that's concerning. And obviously, when you look at his you know coverage numbers, only 23 catches allowed all year long. Five of those come in the national championship game. Really, just wasn't tested. Only 36 targets heading into the national championship game. Only 30 targets heading into the playoff in general. So just like wasn't getting thrown at there at Clemson. So it's tough to see. But I even go back to last year's national championship game. Again, as a true sophomore against Alabama, he was holding his own against that ridiculously good Alabama receiving core. He held, you know, had a pick six when went stride for stride with Devontae Smith on an out and up. Like he he has the movement skills that are rare for a taller cornerback that you bet on. It's just difficult to necessarily gauge off of his tape with kind of how he fell apart against better competition there in the last couple of games. I actually haven't gone back and watched much of his 2018 tape. I think that's what I'll do. I think with AJ Terrell, I want to learn more about him because a lot of people really like him. And I think the 2019 tape, in addition to being few and far between, wasn't targeted a ton. Those things just wasn't all that impressive to me, especially when you get to this next guy, Jeff Gladney. I was going to say one more fun fact about AJ Terrell, though. His real first name, got any guess on what his real first name is? Oh, man. I I mean, this is a shot in the dark. Anthony, I don't know. Is it crazy? It's on Dell. A-U-N-D-E-L-L. Yep. Oh, man. I did not know that. All right. Well, interesting stuff. <laughs> I don't know that... that actually sounds cooler to me than AJ. I'll call him that from now on. On doubt. Yeah. All right. Let's jump to the next guy who I, I like a lot. Jeff Gladney of TCU, the 36th ranked player on PFF's board. Dude's a feisty. Yeah, I always bring this up. Dame Brugler, I think, hits the nail on the head when he calls him a junkyard dog. A guy's really aggressive, constantly chatting after after the play. I love watching him. There's some plays you watch. If you watch on the All-22, even if he's not targeted, he's just chatting up the dude constantly. I think that mental game, if you play it right, can do a lot of good things for you. Earned a 90.6 PFF coverage grade in 2018, a 71.7 coverage grade in 2019 i think very fast a very good athlete gets too aggressive at times and has given up receptions because of that but his recovery speed is good i think gladney in the right scheme can be a very good player in the nfl yeah we just talked about how terrell kind of had a problem of not getting tested gladney's had the opposite problem they've just been peppering him down the football field 232 targets in his career that's the big uh, 12 though. that's the big 12 corner for you and, and the fact that he over the last two seasons, never gave up more than 400 yards in a single season is very good. Like that's encouraging. That's what you want to see in the big 12 uh, because guys get just even the best corners to come out of there in recent years. Savion Howard back in the day would just get torched in certain games because it's tough to hold up against all those go routes. Like you just can't, but he is like, uh, he has great speed. Even though his 40 wasn't the best at the combine. I think he plays a little faster than that. The, the only thing is he's still, 
a little undersized, like 5'10", 191. He's going to get slapped around in the NFL. I do worry a little bit about him holding up on the outside consistently at that size without, you know, like Denzel Ward. That was about Denzel Ward size coming out. And Denzel Ward, though, was like elite, you know, change of direction, elite straight line speed, had all that to where he didn't have to get physical with you. He would just be in your hip pocket no matter what. I'm not sure Gladney's quite on that level that Ward is, and that's why it's just a little bit concerning with him. All right, let's move to Cameron Dancer, the Mississippi State cornerback, earned an 82.0 overall grade in 2018 and then an 83.5 grade in 2019. Fell down the board a bit after the combine from 29 to 37. After a 4640, that's going to do it for you, baby. You run a 4640 at cornerback, it's going to be hard to really win in the NFL. But here's the thing, he, and he, his arms were on the shorter side despite being six foot two, 185 pounds. I mean, there's just this guy's got a weird, weird frame. Thin frame with short arms and ran a four six forty. The intang or the measurables are not great. You're not going to like the measurables with him. <laughs> but hear hear me out. I, I still feel like I like his tape. I, I mean, there's a reason he's still a top forty player on PFF's board. I, I, I feel like he's got good tape somehow with the terrible measurables, four six forty, thin frame, all these things, short arms. I still think he puts good production on tape. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like he was a he was a track. He won state in the long jump in high school. I don't know how I don't know how you win state as a long jumper and run a four six four, like that just doesn't compute to me. You, it feels like your floor should be like four five something because his form though sprinting was pretty trash. Like it did not look good of all the guys forties. Like it wasn't like he looks worse than the Davis brothers. You know, <laughs> like just the way that obviously Stop. still ran faster, <laughs> but like his form looked worse. He just didn't have good form for sprinting, which sometimes that happens, but. Uh, like I said, I still believe like I still, he only dropped down to 37th, which is still second round, top of the second round type of guy. I still think you can get value out of him. And I still think he can produce in the NFL. Now he's not going to be for every scheme at that point. Like with that sort of speed, you're not going to trust him against Deshaun Jackson and man coverage. You're just not going to have that. It's not going to be something you do in your defense with a guy like that. But, uh, you know, I've, I've said the bills uh, are a good fit for him. Sean McDermott, what they do defensively, obviously the Redskins now, with Ron Rivera, similar defensive minds on what they asked their cornerbacks to do defensively. I think those would be good fits for him and his skill set because he has really good in- instincts for the position. So uh, I'm still a fan of his game, but yeah, that speed and that size is worrisome. A little bit of a tangent here, but like thinking about the NFL draft and thinking about like fallers in the draft, when you see like a cornerback or a receiver or something along those lines start to fall, you're like, man, this is so much of a better player. How much of that do you think is – that, you know, like say with Cameron Dancer, that Sean McDermott and Ron Rivera just aren't picking because there are certain teams that won't have Cameron Dancer on their board because he mm-hmm. can't play in the scheme they want to play. And I think for that reason, when you see guys falling, it's like this is the, you know, say Cameron Dancer, this is our 37th ranked player and they're already on the pick 60. What's going on? If you don't have the right defense for Cameron Dancer, if you're asking your cornerbacks to do things that require speed and length, you're not going to draft Cameron Dancer. But if he yeah. does get to the Bills or the Washington Redskins, then he comes off the board. I think the more I think about like fallers in the draft, Scheme is just so important with these guys. Scheme is so important with, you know, when you're specifically drafting the cornerback position to where like camera dancer could fall pretty mightily until the right team kind of picks it up. And that's the thing. It's like, if you're a limited guy, if you're not someone who can fit in any scheme that you just almost fall by default because of that, like there's not just, there's just not gonna be a lot of suitors for you. 
And speaking of limited, the next guy on this list is similarly limited. To kind of tie a bow on Cameron Dancer, though, I really do like his tape. I think his production is great. But again, limited from a scheme standpoint. I think Buffalo, you mentioned it before, that's a good fit for Cameron Dancer, Sean McDermott, and company. All right, Bryce Hall of Virginia, guy who had a 91.3 PFF grade in 2018, had the most forced incompletions of any cornerback in college football. Really, really impressive 2018 tape. Suffered an injury, 336 snaps into his 2019 season. Didn't get a chance to participate at the Combine and will not have a pro day due to COVID-19. Falls from 34 to 50 after the Combine. Bryce Hall, the unfortunate thing is I was watching a ton of cornerback tape over the weekend and I watched Akuda Henderson and Noah Igbenogany and then Bryce Hall. And then oh, you see you, you see just by a, that. Yeah. You see just a completely different level of athlete. This guy, I watched his 2018 tape, plays the receiver and a quarterback in front of him very, very those kind of options. Like likened him to Byron Maxwell, who used to play like in that kind of role with Miami back in the day, Seattle, et cetera. With Bryce Hall, I think. His change of direction is concerning, but he has that vision head start. He has those instincts where he breaks on the ball before he's supposed to, and that's what's going to help him at the next level. It's not going to be his athleticism. Yeah, so he has he had the second biggest wingspan of any corner at the Combine, uh, an eighth of an inch smaller than Okuda's, so 78 and a, and a half inches. That's almost seven inches wider than Christian Fulton's. So, like, you got a lot of leeway when you're that much longer than a guy like Christian Fulton. And this past year, 54 snaps in press coverage didn't allow a single catch in press. Like that is his game. That's who he has to be. He is a silo route tree kind of guy. You ask him to go a little laterally, it's going to break down. His feet aren't yes. good, but he, can, he has good <laughs> enough hips and he has good enough speed and good enough, obviously length. And his, his ball skills are as good as it gets in this draft class. Like he has, he attacks the ball down the football field, plays the ball to catch point, that sort of thing as well as anyone. The play that comes up is that NC State, you know, against Kelvin Harmon, where he goes up and almost nearly picks that ball one-handed. Like, the guy, I think I agree with you in terms of ball skills, attacks the ball very, very well. And he's the guy, before the 2019 season, I had an opportunity to interview. I think we dropped that on the podcast as well. But, like, this guy might be one of the smartest cornerbacks in this class. Like, this guy approaches film study like no other cornerback I've talked to in the past two or three drafts. This guy knows. He kind of opened the interview with, hey, I'm not an athlete. I'm a former three-star recruit that kind of looks like I'm, I'm running in mud at times. My change of direction speed is not a strength. What I do win with is my mind and these things and instincts. And I think, again, someone's going to really like him. Again, Seattle is another team that kind of comes up. If you're not going to get Trayvon Diggs in round one, day two Bryce, Bryce Hall for Seattle, I think it's a huge move. And I think it kind of just reminded me of so the topic of you know guys falling in the drafts is kind of also why I think Seattle over the years and John Schneider – uh, they haven't drafted cornerbacks early. And it's because what they want at cornerback, the Trey Flowerses of the world, other people don't necessarily covet. Like they want guys who are literally just going to end you at the line of scrimmage and not necessarily just stick with you throughout an entire route tree because that's what their scheme is based on because they're not sticking with guys on the entire route tree in that press cover three. They're either they're hitting you at the line of scrimmage and then going straight back in a straight line and not really making many plays outside of that. So what they're going to covet is not going to be with the same as, you know, a team that plays a lot of cover four, a team that plays a lot of man. It's going to be a completely different skill set. But that's Bryce Hall's skill set. Like Bryce Hall is tailor-made for that sort of defense. Yep. All right, moving to Troy Pride Jr., the Notre Dame cornerback that had a very, very good week at the senior bowl. I think that's where he first kind of took a major swing up boards. A very fast dude, former track athlete that's you know going to win with a lot of speed. And I think held up well in man coverage at the senior bowl. What's your opinion of Troy Pride Jr.? Yeah, we got him at 62, I believe, on the board right now. I, I see him, if you're going to draft in the second round, I'm not going to be 
I'm not like going to argue with you. He has all the ability. Like he has all the ability to play the cornerback position at a high level. He was just awful, awful, awful at the catch point this past year. He would just, whether it was, you know, the physicality, uh, locating the ball, uh, being able to, you know, play the ball once he does locate it, like all of that stuff that goes into that, the quote unquote ball skills, he was bad at. And that's kind of been his MO over the course of his career, but he's still only allowed, you know, 32 catches all season long this past season for Notre Dame. Like even with that, you didn't allow a ton of big plays. Uh, only if only two, two catches all year long that went for more than 20 yards. So uh, I do think that that's his game is that he is just going to not get beaten deep. Like you're good. You can play him in man coverage and know that he will be there with guys down the football field because of his speed, because of his athleticism, but he might not, you know, like he, he might be right there, but he might still give up the catch is the worry. Uh, but th- that's still, I, I've said before, it's easier to teach the guy to play the catch point than it is to teach the guy to stick with someone down the football field. So I'm going to lean towards pride uh, in that regard. All right. I want to jump to quickly jump to probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite slot cornerback prospect in this class. I think it's a battle between Darnay Holmes of UCLA, the next player we're going to talk about, and Amik Robinson. Did we, did we skip Noah Igbenogany? Did we skip Noah? Oh, we did. I apologize. Let's get to Noah Igbenogany. Auburn cornerback, 59th ranked player on PFF's board. I apologize for that. Just 20 years old. Like I said, I watched this tape over the weekend, and I really, really do think this guy's a special athlete with special change of direction. But if you watch the Alabama game in 2019, you see a good sample size and a good sample of what he can and can't do. He can stick with the Devontae Smiths of the world. He can run downfield with them, do all those things. His ball skills, though, might be some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. This guy approached the ball like he has never played football before and, and that's a huge concern especially when you're getting targeted down the football field but in terms of staying in Devonte smith's hip pocket outside of the double move i think it was like an out and up that was a perfect dime by the way by whoever was i think it was to a tongue of my lowest still then i mean igmanogany can stick with anyone and i think that's that's ability i want to build on but the ball skills are are ugly no, that was mac jones right the, if the auburn game was uh already mac jones but he so he's a former wide receiver, which makes no sense because you think former wide receiver, you're like, oh man, he must like, but like, that's why he had to have gotten moved from wide receivers because he cannot at any point, you know, approach the ball in a wide receiver-esque manner. He just does not have good ball skills, does not know what he's doing at the catch point. But the crazy thing with Benogany is he's not even going to turn 21 until next November. Oh, wow. He is very young, like even for being a junior. So this, there's a lot to work with, with this guy now. And, and he, he said like, once he switched from wide receiver to cornerback after his freshman year, he was named the starter within like two weeks. Like he yeah. was just like, that's how, that's how freaky he was. And back as a, you know, in 2018, he actually graded out better and had a lower passer rating or lower passer rating against lower completion percentage against only allowed 26 of 62 targets back in 2018. But that's almost the worrisome thing is that he's not really improving. He's just this like ridiculously good athlete who still has awful ball skills and still plays catch point terribly. Like <laughs> I don't know if that's going to change anything when he's I, that I, bad. Even at if it. it doesn't, though, even if it doesn't change, he's just an awful ball skills type of cornerback. If he continues to develop and can stick with anyone in the NFL, like from a from a co- pure coverage standpoint, and just not get targeted. I mean, that does have value. And I think you know you talk about scheme mattering for cornerbacks, there are going to be a ton of teams that have no Igbenogany higher on their boards yeah, than Bryce Hall, Cameron Dancer, Trayvon Dix, 
Exactly. Because like no like monogamy can do everything for you. Does he know how to do it yet? No. Does he tack the ball well? No. But like he can do things athletically that Bryce Hall has maybe dreamed about, but it was a it wasn't that even it wasn't even that vivid of a dream. Like that's where I kind of stand with that. So I, again, it goes back to like you're building boards, right? You're building like these top 100 boards and all these things as like an analyst or whatever, but like without a team in mind. Like your board yeah, is always going no to be, it's, yeah. you're always going to be like kind of flawed in that regard. Cause like, I'll tell you right now, I'm taking, you know, Bryce Hall over at Noah Benagany if I'm the Seattle Seahawks. However, if I'm the Detroit Lions, you know, Brian Flores, Bill Belichick, I- I'm taking Noah Benagany every day of the week. Cause yeah. that's just what I value more at the cornerback position. Still interesting, interesting discussion with cornerback talent. All right. I got to jump to Darnay Holmes. Sorry. I tried to tease him a little bit and skip by Noah Benagany, but Darnay Holmes. And they meet Robertson, the Louisiana Tech cornerback we'll bring up later, are probably my two favorite slot cornerback types in the NFL next year. I really do like what these guys bring. They're smaller dudes, but very, very aggressive, play the ball well. And Darnay Holmes, former five-star athlete that shows up on his tape, I think still still a very young player too, graduated, you said like what, two and a half years? Dude mm-hmm. took like over 20 units in the summer to get out of UCLA quickly. But Darnay Holmes, I think is very, very smart, aggressive on the football field, and I think wants to do everything to win. You read into this guy's backstory, and this guy's got character through the roof. You talk about like, why does a player want to be the best in the NFL? Like Darnie Holmes, it's obvious what he wants to do at the next level, what he wants to have, once he wants, what he wants to accomplish. Darnie Holmes really liked this player. Yeah, he had, he's just very smooth athletically. Like anything, like his hips, his speed, it's all easy for him, but he is very small, very small wingspan, under 70 inches, his wingspan, one of the shortest of any player, any, you know, defensive back at the combine this past season. Uh, so he's, he's just not playing on the outside and, and that's already limiting his draft stock. And, and I think he's going to play in the slot and he never really played in the slot at UCLA. He was an outside cornerback and I'm not sure. And like speed that he has is not going to help you necessarily uh, in the slot. It's more about quickness and yes, he's quick as well, but I, I just, he's so, he's just so raw still is the problem mm-hmm. with him. Like the coaching you just didn't see him improve from sophomore to junior. It's kind of still the same guy, inconsistent, fighting on double move sort of guy. I, I like there's a lot to work with, but yeah, I, I don't think he's kind of he's not in that, you know, some of the guys we saw hit the ground running last year in the Definitely. slot, like Chauncey Gardner Johnson. I don't think I don't think that's gonna happen with Darnay. I think yeah. he's like a couple of years down the line, you're hoping for him to sort of come out of nowhere and explode, and then that's gonna be his big break. I think compare him so you compare him to like other successful slot cornerbacks that were successful early, Chauncey Garner Johnson, and another guy that comes to Desmond mind, King. Desmond King. And I think Desmond you King, you you talk about technique. I mean, this guy came in the NFL with some of the best technique in, in football. I mean, he really, really understood Iowa's defensive scheme and has done a very good job in the NFL. With Darnay Holmes, though, you talk about players that need to improve technically or need to learn new scheme, need to learn new things. Darnay Holmes has the ability to do so and the want to to do so, in my opinion. And I think Darnay Holmes, for that reason, gets better with NFL coaching at the next level. The team that swings the bat on him to play slot cornerback in the NFL and teach him all the things he needs to learn, I think we'll see that he takes that very quickly and understands that quickly. All right, moving forward to Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett, the conversation with Damon Arnett can't start without bringing up two things. He's already 23 years old, and the off-field concerns, are. there are so many question marks that I don't know What's going on off the field with Damon Arnett? Reading an article from The Athletic recently, he, after the bowl game against Washington, 
skipped the charter flight home and went straight to his hometown, I think in Dallas, preparing for the draft, and then ended up coming back to Ohio State for whatever reasons. Apparently, he said Chris Carter told him, he was giving him advice. Chris Carter, who's been to the PFF offices, by the way, told him, you're not ready to play for pro ball. You're not ready to play for a living. And that's why he went back to Ohio State. He's gotten a lot of criticism for his stuff off the field. I, I seen him after the combine fall down Daniel Jeremiah's board. And he hasn't highlighted it a ton. And if you remember, when we bring him on the podcast, he said, I don't, I don't, you know, draw a spotlight to guys that fall down my board due to off-field reasons, but they still fall. And I think Damon Arnett, I'm I'm obviously speculating, but I think he fell for those reasons. I think there was some off-field stuff, some question marks with Arnett that are concerning. Although he did also run a four, five, seven, which true <laughs> is very slow. And even slower when you're a cornerback like Arnett, you're not even slower. I mean it's the exact same, but it's it's when you're a cornerback like Arnett that's not that needs that's winning with athleticism as well. He's not winning with pure physicality. Like he's six foot one ninety five. He doesn't have a huge wingspan. He doesn't have that sort of you know a different trump card that he's winning with. He needs to be uh, in receivers' hip pockets down the football field. He had a really slow ten time, one five six ten time, which is uh, um, way on the slow end for cornerbacks. A four five six forty. Uh, what he tested there only thirty inch wingspan uh, again on the low end for cornerbacks. Or, excuse me, thirty inch arm length, which is on the low end for cornerbacks. So physically, there's a lot to be desired here. Yes, he improved a ton this past season. His ball skills at the catch point, the way he attacks the ball down the football field, I likened him to a volleyball player. The way he spikes you know the catch point like he just swings with reckless abandon at receivers and broke up a ton of passes this year seven pass breakups only 25 catches allowed all season long uh all career highs across the board from him. he played with a broken hand a cast one hand was just you know in a cast all season long so or i guess it might, it might have been a broken wrist can't remember but in a cast all season long had this great year but when you get factor in the age athleticism red field off off field red flags I mean, his tape is probably closer to a second rounder, but I probably wouldn't touch this guy until, like I say, 79th on the board right now, third round, probably at best, just because of all those things. Yeah, I mean, you, you speak to that, and I'm reading more about the off-field stuff. Here's another quote from that same article. I didn't always get along with the coaches last year, speaking to the 2018 season. You know, when Kerry Coombs left, he was somebody who always had his back. He didn't get along. He didn't lo- have any love for the other coaches in the building after that. He also said... Uh, wasn't interested in in live you know doing football. He was way too interested in living the college party lifestyle. Not focused on football or academic. I mean, this guy I think needs mm. to get his head on straight and, and realize I need to be fully committed to football if I want to be the best. If I want to get drafted high and I want to have success in the NFL. I think that's that's a lot of character concerns and the wrong ones to have, in my opinion, for a guy that you need to get better in the NFL. You compare him to Darnay Holmes, who doesn't have anywhere near that type of stuff. You can count on Darnay Holmes getting better with the raw athleticism tools he has. With Damon Arnett. Maybe Maybe you second guess it. All right. Mm-hmm. Now we're moving to guys outside of PFF's top 150 cornerbacks that are listed in PFF's latest 22, 2020 NFL draft guide, which the latest update came out today. Promo code NFL 2020 saves you 25% on any PFF subscription. To download the PFF draft guide, you literally need to spend $7.49. Help Mike and I out. We need to put food on the table during the COVID-19 outbreak, but 2020 draft guide available to all edge and elite subscribers moving forward here. Let's do a speed round here for these next few guys. Josiah Scott of Michigan state, your take. He's one of the better slot options in this entire draft class. Now he's tiny five, nine, one eight, five, but he's quick. He's fast. 
sticks his nose into one of the best tacklers as well. I, I think if you need a slot cornerback, um, I, I like him more of a in terms of like a zone heavy slot cornerback. I like, gosh, who was the guy who just Darnay Holmes? If we're talking about more of a man heavy slot cornerback, uh, but Josiah Scott in zone, like he, I love his instincts for the position. Great tackler, only six missed tackles over the only nine missed tackles in his entire college career in two and a half years as a starter. He has injury concerns, banged up a bit this past year, missed half of 2018 with, I think it was knee or something. I can't remember actually now off the top of my head. But I think this guy, not even 21 years old yet, I really like him as a slot option. You might, you'll be making the next 150 that we do for sure. Another slot option, Amik Robertson, talked about him a bit, had the highest single coverage grade of any cornerback over the past two years in, in this draft class. And I think with Amik Robertson as well, an aggressive corner, has great ball production, gets his hand on the football. I think level of competition is a bit of a concern with him. You watch yeah. some of his you watch some of his breaks on the balls. That ball is late, inaccurate against a receiver that can create separation to save his life. But I also read a lot into his background, and I couldn't find an article that did not wax poetic about this guy's character and this guy's oh, yeah. physicality. Like people, like the coaches at La Tech are legitimately in love with Amik Robertson for all the right reasons. And I think you combine that with the production he has had at Louisiana Tech, you can only play the people on your schedule. You can't discredit Amik Robertson for playing the people on his schedule at a very high level. I th- I like him in addition to Scott and uh, Darnay Holmes is another good slot cornerback in this class. Yeah, Amik though, 5'8", 187. The guy is tiny and I think he's going to run in like the force. Like he's tiny, not athletic, but his Physical as it gets, like right in the grill, press man against Colin Johnson. And he's like putting them, you know, pressing them all the way to the sideline. Like he doesn't back down from anybody. Everyone, like I said, loves this guy, raves about this guy. But like he really is on the low side for NFL athleticism. I'm not, he didn't test at the combine, so we don't have any numbers to put to it. But he is a slot. Like he has to play in the slot. And athleticism not nearly as impactful there, but I still just worry about him being just a little too small. Has not been a good tackler over the course of his career. Missed 13 tackles on 75 attempts this past season. So as much as I love his ball skills, love his demeanor, it just I use a little, little we're a little lower on him because of that. Even though he graded really well this past year, but like you mentioned, a lot of that was just like who we went up against. But 28 pass breakups and nine picks over the past two seasons. Pretty ridiculous numbers. All right. If you want to fall in love with Amik Robertson, there's one play. Go to the Texas tape in 2019 and look at this press rep against Marcus Epps or Malcolm Epps, the oh, freshman yeah. receiver. Six foot six, 245 pounds. Dude beats him like a redheaded stepchild, dude. It is it is one of the more more impressive press reps I've seen from a guy who's 5'8", 187 in my life. And you watch that against Colin Johnson and Marcus Epps or Malcolm Epps, these two big wide receivers for Texas. He just doesn't back down to anybody. And I can just get on board with that. And on late day three, I'm taking a flyer on this guy. No problem. All right. John Reed, next cornerback on the list. John Reed, Penn State cornerback. He tested out really well, actually, at the combine. Went sub four five. Really good change of direction skills. Had the best short shuttle uh, of anyone in attendance, I think. Three nine seven there. Um, it, it, they played a lot of off zone at Penn State. But when he did play in press coverage, or when he did play man coverage, had one of the higher grades in this draft class. I love his feet. I think he's a good athlete, but he is also another guy who's undersized. You know, he's 5'10", 187, not super long. Uh, I'm not sure what scheme is going to be his best fit at the next level, maybe zone heavy, but like I think he can can be in sort of a diverse scheme 
at the next level, but he's also almost 24 years old. He'll turn 24 in May. The dude was playing as a true freshman back in 2015 for Penn State. So there are some concerns there, but I think in terms of NFL readiness, he can step on the field tomorrow and not look out of place. Another older cornerback, Dane Jackson of Pittsburgh, already 23 years old. What's, what's impressive is he's earned 76-plus PFF coverage grades in each of the past three years, playing over 750 defensive snaps each season. But his grade has yet to jump over 80.0. has kind of topped out at that kind of 79.2 range for Dane Jackson. What's your opinion of his tape? I feel like I've seen it all over the map with him. So his like best skill set or like what he did best at Pitt was his press coverage. And that's worrisome because he doesn't have press coverage like traits when you're projecting to the NFL. Like he is short. Uh, I think he is. So he's 5'11", only 30 and 3 eighths inch arms, only 187 pounds. Again, that's not a press profile. That, like you want length, you want size if you're like that. And then you definitely want speed, only a 4'5", 740. So he just like is on the low end for all those things. So the thing he did best is probably not going to translate to the NFL. When we saw him at, you know, the senior bowl. When it's all just press man one-on-ones, you got torched. You didn't look good at the senior bowl. And so that's kind of – that's just not a profile you want to bet on at the NFL level. And as physical as he is, and as, you know, another guy who you love the way he plays the game, you love, you know, the fire he brings, I'm just not sure he has the tools to work with. Uh, and, and the coverage production is just average, you know, from college there at Pittsburgh. But three years as a starter uh, and a lot, of, a lot of reps under his belt at this point. Moving to Lamar Jackson, not the Baltimore Ravens cornerback, the Nebraska cornerback. Uh, he also went to the senior bowl and did not have the best of weeks. I think Lamar Jackson, good length. An understatement. Good length. He's a taller cornerback. I think he has some of the measurables you want at the position, but the production just wasn't there at the senior bowl and really wasn't there at Nebraska this past year. Yeah, I mean, he had the lowest grade we've ever given to a corner at the senior bowl, him. And the guy we'll get to later, Usain Bass, he tied for the lowest grade ever. <laughs> Um, but Bassey has a legit excuse because he's like 5'8", uh, 175 pounds. He was never going to be a press man corner. That should be realistically Lamar Jackson's bread and butter. He is a six foot two, 208-pound cornerback with over 32-inch arms. That should be where he succeeds is getting right up in your grill. But no, he's just so sloppy. His feet are just all over the place. He just doesn't have like the – hasn't had the reps at Nebraska. That's not what they did a lot of. So – He's he's a late round project at best. He's might he might be a guy that just uh you know Seattle takes in the sixth instead of drafting exactly. guy really. <laughs> Trey Flowers is Trey Flowers a good comp for Lamar Jackson? Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean I don't think it is not. Um, Lavert Hill, Michigan cornerback. I think you turn on his tape and you see. I think these Michigan cornerbacks are coached very very well. I think you see a lot of the right things from a technique standpoint, but he's not the same type of player that we you I know you are a big fan of David Long David this Long. past year he's not he's not in that same tier no he, he's just not there athletically like he doesn't have near the speed he's undersized you know five I think 510 185 something like that he, he, now he did 21 bench reps at the combine which is kind of absurd for a guy that size but I, I just don't think he has the physical tools that you want to play press man that's like really all he what he was best at at Michigan any guy with size just tossed him around though. Like anytime he went up against a bigger wide receiver, I think it was, you watch the Ohio state tape with him and it's not pretty like those guys on the outside gave him, uh, just gave it to him. The Minnesota tape as well. I think uh, from uh, one of the past two years was bad as well. So uh, yeah, I don't think that he is a guy I would, I, I just like a late round yeah. type of guy at this point. That's what, that, those are all these guys. 
You bring up the Ohio State tape. I feel like I've watched some cornerbacks against Ohio State a handful of times this offseason. And I, I know we're not we're talking cornerbacks now, but a little bit of a tangent. What's your opinion of Austin Mack, the wide receiver that went to the Senior Bowl, the Ohio State wideout? I, I know he's not high on PFS board right now, but I mean, there are a handful of reps at the Senior Bowl and this season where you kind of like what you saw from him. He's just not athletic, though. Like okay. all those all those Ohio State guys. That, and it's funny you said that. I think he even wrote in the guide something like, every Ohio state wide receiver has a few reps where we're like, Oh wow, that looks really good because they're coached so well. And because they do the little things so well, but he's just not like, I just don't think he has the athleticism. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a good point. I mean, Brian Hartline has done such a good job with that Ohio state crew. I mean, look, KJ Hill legit put on a freaking clinic. It was absurd. Mm-hmm. Like this guy played, I mean, that guy, and he's not an athlete. Like KJ Hill simply isn't an athlete. All right. Moving forward here. Miles Bryant. Washington cornerback play a lot of slot at Washington. I think it's going to be, it's going to have to be um, going to have to be slot for him. He's another yes. smaller cornerback. This guy's slot only really. I'm not even sure he can play. Now I think he played some safety. I want to say at Washington, but I don't think he plays safety. Like he's five, he's under five, eight, 183 pounds. Uh, only ran a four, six, two, but it's, he wins the change of direction, quick area sort of guy. Uh, I kind of like his ball skills, but he's just not, like I said, those are really bottom of the barrel type athletic athletic testing numbers there for Bryant. Like he's just very much a limited dude. And I didn't love him as a tackler either. And if you're going to play the slot, you better be able to tackle well. And so uh, I'm not sure. Like, again, he's a guy you take a chance on late as a as sort of a, like a chance he might develop as a slot receiver, a slot cornerback. All right. We're going to go two by two here to finish. Kendall Vildor and Reggie Robinson. Two small school guys who tested out really well athletically. They're they're so up and down though. Like even at the senior bowl when you saw them, they'd have they'd alternate really good reps with some, you know, pretty, pretty ugly reps. I think Vilder offers a little bit more in terms of he's a little smoother. Rob Robinson's transitions from press coverage, like he's a he's a bigger dude with longer arms. Uh his transitions are pretty rough and he got exposed at the senior bowl. But Vilder Builder has really good, like he has all the movement skills you could want, but he's just like high end rep jumps on a route. Like he's just too, uh, he just, he gets a little too, uh, he's a little too undisciplined is the word I'm looking for at the cornerback position. A lot of those guys from small schools, like that's, that's a very common theme. I feel like a cornerback, cause you can get away with it when you're playing against bad athletes and you just have this inherent athletic advantage, you can get away with it, but he's just so, he's just so far towards that spectrum that I probably wouldn't take a chance before day three. All right, Isang Bassey and Michael Ojemudia. Uh, Isang Bassey, Wake Forest cornerback, smaller guy that got absolutely roasted at the Senior Bowl. And then Michael Ojemudia also went to the Senior Bowl. Not a great week for him. I mean, both of these guys, I, I think, are you know late day three options. I still like Bassey in terms of if you're going to move him to either safety or the slot. I still think he can play there because he has really good instincts and he's still a good athlete. He just got thrown around. Like he's 191, 5'9", 191. And this impressed man, he was going to get thrown around by bigger wide receivers, but he still ran a 4.46. I mean, a 39 and a half inch vertical, 6.953 cone and a 4.13 shuttle. Those that's like, that's a profile of a very good athlete still. Uh, and over the course of his career at Wake Forest, uh, he, you know, 28 pass breakups from 27 in, two, in 2017 and 2018, only seven this past year, took a bit of a step back, but like as a true sophomore, he was, you know, 17 pass breakups. He was playing really well in the ACC. So I think there's still something to work with there, but yeah, it was scary. Him at the senior bowl, 
him and Ojemudia, I think, are very much zone cornerbacks. Ojemudia has more uh, uh, who have like good physical, you know, skill sets. Their testing numbers at the combine were both great, but I think both are still probably better off uh, as you know, pure zone corners. Last two cornerbacks here. Go, Dave. Evelyn Gidry of Utah, two fast, fast cornerbacks that do have, I think they both have former track backgrounds, right? Yes. Both went, I think Davis went four, four, something like four, four, flat, maybe four, four, one combine. Gidry obviously went four, two, nine. That dude can fly. But then he like, he's really bad at the catch point. You saw him against Devin Duvernay in the bowl game, just get beaten deep three times. And he's there. Like he's in the guy's hip pocket, but still loses because he's just, not great in that. I could see him being coveted by someone who plays matchups and just use him to guard your faster. You know, if you have a pure deep threat on the other team, he will be able to stick with them down the football field. He has that ability. Uh, but like anything else, zone coverage, he was so rough, like trying to he so he played slot at Utah, but just trying to like deduce route concepts. He was kind of a weak link there in that Utah defense. Javaris Davis, uh, he's been the Auburn cornerback, he's a bit, he was a little better in zone coverage. He actually, like, I think he can play slot full time in a, in a diverse scheme, but he's just so weak at the catch point. He just lost there all the time. Not a, not a great tackler in his own right, which is, you know, another bad combination at slot. You're going to have to be able to be a good tackler. So both those guys are kind of limited in their roles as slot cornerbacks at the next level. And when you're limited, even for a slot role, you're going to be pretty far down the board. Awesome stuff, Mike. Really appreciate you getting through the bottom of the barrel there at the corner position. Absolutely shredding it. Top of this class looks very good. Like I said, at the top of the podcast, 25 to 50. I think there are going to be a handful of names that come off the board that offer value early in their NFL careers. That's going to do it for the Monday edition of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. Make sure to check out all of our work at pff.com. Subscribe, review, download, do it all. Support 2 for 1 Drafts. Until next time, Austin Gale and Mike Renner. 